Turning your scripture to Jude 1, Jude verses 1 through 2. And we will be looking at the entire book of Jude, uh, but we will start with the first two verses. This is the word of God. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for calling us. I thank you for setting us apart, for sanctifying us to you, to your service, uh, for our entire lives, but also this day, that we can be set apart this day uh, for your glory. And I thank you, Lord God, for preserving us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we come to the book of Jude, we are quickly confronted with a dire situation. False teachers have crept into the church and have perverted it with apostasy, sexual immorality, and idolatry. As Jude lists point after point of perversion and sin within the church, it is sadly easy for us to draw parallels between the church of Jude's time and the state of our current Western church today. In doing so, I fear that we may be tempted to become discouraged and despondent over the state of the church. Far from being discouraging, however, I believe that the book of Jude offers us many, many encouraging promises from God. And I would like to look at just a few of those today, namely seven. So, diving right in first, let us look at the first verse. Notice that the book of Jude is written to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. God knows who are his own. He has called and sanctified them. To be sanctified carries with it the idea of being set apart. So be encouraged that Christ has won for himself a particular set-apart church, and he is actively preserving it. Jesus says in the book of John that my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. So that we can be encouraged that even in times of apostasy, Christ knows who is his, and he is keeping his own. The second promise I see is contained in verse 2, which states, Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Given the context of the rest of the book, we can be comforted to know that even in trying times, God not only preserves us, but multiplies to us his mercy, peace, and love. Praise God. Third in verse three, Jude states that we are to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. So, saints, The faith has been once for all delivered to you. The victory has already been won in Christ, and his church will prevail. Because the victory has already been won, we have the hope, motivation, tools, and strength to contend earnestly for the faith. Indeed, in Ephesians 1 verse 3, Paul says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We have the promise that Christ's church will prevail and the promise that God will equip his church to prevail during its time here on earth. Fourth, the fourth promise I see in the book of Jude is contained in verse four. 
And in verse four, Jude turns his attention to the false teachers corrupting the church. And interestingly states that they were long ago marked out for this condemnation. The promise I see here is that God is always in control. Even the enemies of God are his tools to be used as he wishes. So even in the midst of apostasy, we can take heart that God, God has marked out his enemies. He knows who they are. He is in control. The fifth promise I see in the book of Jude is contained in, the verses, in verses five through 10, which paint a very bleak picture of the judgment awaiting an apostate church. Now I, um, I thank, thank God that the Holy Spirit moved Micah to pray confessing the sins of the church this morning. Um, I think that's very appropriate. Uh, and the song that we sang, Psalm 119, I don't have it in front of me, but the verse it quotes is, um, rivers of water flow from my eyes, for men do not keep your law. It's not just a trickle, it's a river of water that's flowing from the psalmist's eyes. And I'm also reminded of uh, the prophet Ezekiel, um, I believe it's Ezekiel, where God takes the prophet and says, hey, dig through this wall. He takes him to the temple, says dig through the wall, and um, he shows them the profane fire being offered in his holy sanctuary, the idols being worshiped. Um, he says this, Ezekiel 5, he says, Therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, surely, because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your detestable things and with all your abominations, therefore, I will also diminish you. My eye will not spare, nor will I have any pity. Um, and Ezekiel also shows, or God also shows Ezekiel the three men, remember, um, the two who were to destroy and the one who had the writing instruments. And he told the one with the writing instruments, go into all the city and write down all the, the name of all those who weep continually for the abominations committed in it. And I don't know exactly where I'm going with all this, but I think that it is appropriate for us to weep continually over the abominations that is happening in the church of God, the bride of Christ. That we not just weep occasionally, but weep continually. Rivers, rivers of eyes, I'm sorry, rivers of water flowing from our eyes. But even in the midst of that weeping, which I think is appropriate, it's completely appropriate to be broken over the sins of, of the bride of Christ. Even in the midst of that, we can take heart in the fact that God is a jealous God who is zealous for the purity of his church. No matter what impurities we may see in the bride of Christ today, know that Christ will present his bride to himself spotless. And it is Christ himself who will do the cleansing. An apostate church is in rebellion against God first and foremost, and God promises that he will take care of it as only he can, so we need not worry. The sixth promise I see in the book of Jude is in verse 11. Verse 11 of Jude highlights the three major, apost three major apostasies in the Old Testament. The sin of Cain, the 
prophet of Balaam who attempted to curse God's people for profit, uh, and the rebellion of the people of God at Korah. Even in these examples, however, we may find hope. Cain slew Abel, but God provided another seed in his church in Seth. God always provides for his church. God did not allow Balaam to speak his curses. People may speak evil of the church, but God will never allow his church to be cursed. And at the, uh, the rebellion of the people of Korah, even though his people rebelled, God's people rebelled against him, and God admonished them through the desert wanderings, still God cared for and preserved his people through those desert wanderings. God always preserves his own. Further, the desert wanderings served the purpose of killing off the rebellious generation. Remember? So that a generation more fit to serve him would rise and take the promised land. So that we, we can take heart that in, in times of apostasy, God is at work skimming off the dross and purifying his church. Finally, verses 17 and 18 offer another incredible promise. These verses state, But you, beloved, remember the words which you have spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Apostasy is no surprise to God, and God has in turn warned us about it. He has given us the knowledge of the types of apostasy that we can expect to see in the church, and he has given us the tools to deal with it. God takes care of his church. He has forewarned us. Further, verse 20 tells us to build ourselves up in our most holy faith so we can take heart that we have a firm foundation on which to build. Christ is our rock. And God would not command us to build something without giving us the tools to do so. So then, as we approach the table, let us take these incredible promises to heart. Even in the face of apostasy, even in the face of men not keeping God's law. Let us remember that in his death on the cross, Christ won for himself a particular church. And in his life and the resurrection, he is actively preserving his church. He has promised that it will prevail. Like our, our catechism question that we recited today, God is with us always, even to the end of the age. He has equipped us with every spiritual blessing. God is in control of all creation, even those who rebel against him. Christ is zealous for his bride and will purify her. Even in times of admonishment of the Lord, we take heart in God's purifying work. Christ is our foundation, and therefore we are enabled to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What great promises indeed. As I close, I would just like to leave you as the book of Jude leaves you with this final incredible promise. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, whom alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and, both now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord God, I thank you for your promises contained in the book of Jude. 
I thank you that you are a God who always keeps his promises. I thank you that you have not left us to, to wonder, that you have very clearly uh, explained in your word what to expect and told us how to trust in you. Lord God, please use our promises now to draw us closer to you as we approach your table, that we may be steadfast in the security that we have for you, and that we may rejoice as your bride um, dining with you. I ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.